This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. It's tricky, isn't it? The words as they were written. That's like a, whew, got a lot of sin words in that one. It's like, ooh, I know, I'll do some text replace in the Bible, and I'm just going to find every word sin, and I'm going to put something in like flowers or beautiful meadow and read it again, and it'll feel a lot better. Um, we struggle with that word sin because that word sin has been used in so many ways and it means so many things. It's like trying to hold on to an eel in the middle of the, of the river. You know, will you, will it bite you? You don't know. Um, so we're not really going to take on sin today, but I wanted to mention it because that reading is pretty heavy with it. And we want to acknowledge that, yes, there is wrongdoing. Yes, there is brokenness or hurt or wounding. And we have to be really careful around the word sin so as not to use it to bludgeon the hurting. Just going to put that out there. Okay, so... You ready? Here we go. It's a bit wonky. Ready? Here we go. So we're going to start with the first slide. We are, have... That's different than I expected. Do, do the next one. Let's see if it comes. Does the next one... Yes! Ta-da! I don't know. Yeah. So no, this is our special, this is our special PowerPoint. So, um, so this is this perfect. Um, and if anything's wrong with it, it's my fault because I handed her the slides earlier. So this is the map. I know you're all like, oh, what? Uh, this is a map of Paul's voyage. And you can see at the bottom we have North Africa. We have Egypt. So he's sailing in a ship from Alexandria, a big, huge Roman grain ship. Those, we, we've never found one, so we don't actually know what they look like or how much they held. But, but we estimate between 1,000 and 3,000 tons of grain would have been possible in one of those big ships. And you can see sailing up through Israel. And these big ships, um, the ancient people were not sailors. They didn't love sailing the water. Well, the Greeks did pretty well, but the Romans, not so much. And so the... Uh, so you hug the coastline in these big ships and you take advantage of the coastal winds. Next, next, um, next slide. So we're going to zero in and we're going we're gonna to see how um, the, that most of the drama happens right around Crete, the island of Crete off of Greece. And of course we know that Rome is on that side of Greece and Israel is on this side of Greece and Paul is hugging modern day Turkey, Asia Minor, coming up into the little tiny islands there. Next slide. And where they end up, what they want to do is they want to stay in that kind of Aegean Sea area, dodge the really nasty winds, stay out of the really big ocean part, full of sandbars. It's really treacherous. Um, but the wind is so bad. Ignitus, they can't go any further. And Ignitus is Turkey now, but it's the site of an ancient Greek port city, a very, very important city. And you can see how they would just weave in among those little tiny islands and would help buffet the winds and would, would make enough wind to sail the ship and not so much to knock them over and destroy them. And so they can't, they can't take their route. And part of the reason is they're going so late in the season. 
they didn't get started on this voyage until too late. And now that they're started, um, there's a bonus if the merchant can get the grain to Rome after the sailing season, everybody makes a little bit more of the green stuff. And so that is also part of why maybe we can do it, maybe we can push it, maybe we can get to Rome. But nope. Not, not, not going to work this way. They're going to have to find a different route. So they sail down to the lower red circle to, to Salome, which is today's Cape Sideros. And it's this tiny little outcropping. Next one. And from there, next slide, yeah. From, from Salome, Cape Sideros, they get down to Fair Havens, which is this lovely little niche right in the Isle of Crete. This is, um, the other word for this little place is uh, soft white sand. It's this beautiful, idyllic beach. Anybody want to go on a vacation to Crete? I highly recommend this spot. It's, it's gorgeous. Um, and the catch is the harbor's not really big enough for this big grain ship. They can't really stay there for the whole winter. They could try it, maybe a little bit less comfortable. And so when the wind seems to be okay again, like maybe, every, maybe we can push through, next slide, they say, let's go from Fair Havens to Phoenix. It's not far, look, it's just over a few miles. Surely this fair wind will get us there. And Paul, uh, Paul's great. Um, we get mansplaining here in the Bible uh, as Paul explains, and you know, he actually should, he, I'm teasing him for mansplaining, but he's been in three shipwrecks, so he kind of knows, right? But he says, you know, we should really stay here because the weather's really likely to turn bad, and we really don't want to go because if we don't go, we could lose everything, but he's overruled, and, um, and off they head for Phoenix. Wouldn't that be great if they got there? Next slide. Well, they didn't get there. What happens is uh, what's called a nor'easter or a uroquila uh, comes down out of the mountains of Crete. So we've got winds from all these different directions meeting right over the top of Crete and down in the water. It's a, a well-known um, storm. Um, boy, I was near Astoria and I served near Astoria for a while and uh, they used to call it a blow. I remember, okay, so it was my first church, teeny little, wonderful little church in Grays River um, and um, Washington in a little tiny county called Wakayakum. And Wakayakum County is so small, they don't even have like a real grocery store, like not even a Safeway, right? Everywhere, not the whole county, not even a Safeway. Um, anyway, Wakayakum County is the place where in the stories of Lewis and Clark, Remember, they got sort of nailed against a, by a huge storm came in and they couldn't move for like a week and they were stuck on the cliffs and they called the place Dismal Niche. If you want to go see Dismal Niche, it's in the first parish that I was in. <laughs> and I stayed not far from it uh, in this wonderful little mobile home on the Columbia River. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, but it was pretty wild out there and uh, I'm there for a couple nights a, a, a week. And there's a knock on my door. And one of my parishioners, who is amazing, I love her still, she's at the door, and she was 70 then, 70-something. Uh, she had built her own house. She was toting dogs. She came in a big pickup truck. And she says to me, well, I'm thinking you better get on out of here, uh, or i got to bring you a chainsaw and a torch because there's a blow coming in. <laughs> and I was like, What's a blow? 
I had no idea what it was. Uh, and it's a big storm, big storm. And all the trees, you know, there are lots and lots of trees in Wakaiakum County, and I can't figure out how. Because every winter, like, thousands of them blow down. You can't, I would have to call in the winter, can I get to church? Um, because there'd be trees across the roads and you couldn't get there, right? I know, right? Or the tide would come in. And it's like, well, you know, don't go this way, go that way, because there's, the tide is going to be there. And I was, <laughs> I looked up the, how do you survive immersion in water when I was serving there? If I went around some of these slick corners, I knew I was going to be in the, I would be the one in the Columbia River, figuring out, do I unroll the car window right away, or do I wait? <sighs> anyway, so that's, that's where they, they end up in the middle of this storm and they do not have control of the boat. And they get lucky because that little tiny island of Kauda is tiny and somehow they make it there. But it's so bad that they can't stay there. Um, they get blown still, next one. And eventually they end up free spinning through the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and end up way over there in Malta. Again, look how lucky they are to get to land, right? Um, so we're going to talk about Malta not today, a different Sunday. Remember, we're going to tell this story in pieces, but that's just so you know, we left, kind of did the thing of you have to come back next week to find out what happened to Paul. Um, so this week, I do let you know they do arrive on Malta safe. Okay, and the next slide. So these are real places. It's so easy with the Bible to think of this material as some like abstract story from a long ago or, or that um, God's work and the material of creation, the iron and the wood and the, and the grass and the rocks and the trees aren't part of the story. They're just sort of an anonymous backdrop. But God brings things into the material world to show us, to show us things. And here, this is the ancient ruins of Nidus, that first port where they weren't able to go further. Next one. Um, here's another uh, picture of Nidus. It's got the, um, the uh, arena, the Greek theater there, which I'm not sure how they would have heard the players over the sound of the wind on the harbor, or am I just dreaming about that? Okay, next one. This is Cape Sidero, which is now a military base. There's a lighthouse there from, but uh, long ago it was just a cape with a little village. Next one. Another picture of Cape Sidero. Uh, it's got a little bit of, uh, that's a little church chapel of St. Um, Isidore. A lot of these places have small uh, chapels. Next one. This is Fair Havens. Isn't it pretty? Look at that white beach. Um, I don't know why they didn't listen to Paul and just stay there. Next one. Um, this is another view of Fairhaven. And you see those petrochemical tanks? It's kind of proof that it's a calm place to be. They can put those tanks up there. They've been there for years and years. And the ships can safely come in and refuel. Next one. This is where they wanted to go. This is Phoenix. Oops. Next one. And this is Kauda. And you know, it looks pretty much the same. These are real places. When we hear this story, Luke is trying to explain these things really happened, that God really does move through us, our journeys, our stories, and our world. Next slide. And then, of course, this is kind of how I imagine things to look fairly bleak. Um, yeah, obviously there weren't any sailors on the shore, but maybe there were a few people 
on the shore who are like, what are you guys doing out there? Are you crazy? Um, but yeah, it was, not, it was not good. And they, they pull out these cables. So like I say, the Romans weren't great sailors. And the, the way that they decided they were going to make a Roman military boat to rival the Greeks is they sort of stole a Greek boat and they reverse engineered it. But they didn't know how to kind of make it work properly. And so they started by building the hull and they worked from the outside in. Well, a shipbuilder will tell you that's a terrible way to build a boat. Don't build a boat like that. Put in the framing and the structures, the hull goes on last. And so they had these workarounds because their ships weren't that great. And one of the workarounds is they would wrap cables around the ship to hold it together like a nice big bow, right? So bad news, a storm's coming. Worse news, we've got cables. <laughs> and that's we're going to be using to hold our ship together today. So, oops, um, it is what it is, right? So, um, Paul's journey is a spiritual journey. That's why it shows up in our Bible. God is doing something. But we need to remember that the material world is a full part of this. The spirit is imbued in the spiritual world. God is the ruler of the seas, God is. And so as Paul moves through this story, we see the spirit at work, God at work through the material person of Paul and everything he encounters. And Paul is, he is on his way to Rome to stand before this before Caesar, but this is kind of like a, a, a moot point. He's already been everything but exonerated through the Roman courts. It's not the Roman courts that are mad at Paul. It's the Judean courts. It's the high priests. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees who do not like what he has been doing, and that is including people that they think shouldn't be included. He is teaching about the love of Jesus Christ, the love of neighbor, the love of inclusion, and he is including people that they would call God-fearers, people who honored and recognized and loved the Judean traditions, but they weren't born of a Judean mother, they weren't born in a Judean place, they weren't adopted through Judean systems, they didn't have the right ethnicities, and so they weren't allowed to belong. They simply weren't children of God through Abraham. And that's the way that was for them, and that was their understanding. And remember, this is us. This is, this is our history. This is us and what we do. And this happens a lot of the time. But Paul's conversion experience with God showing up, stopping him on the road, and calling him to ministry, calling him to go and tell people in uh, the Gentile areas in Rome, in Greece, that they were beloved of God too. That was Paul's mission. And this mission isn't a problem for lots of people. It's the witness and testimony of Paul's efforts has already been known to the Greeks who have come to believe the good news of Jesus Christ across Asia Minor. And there's no question of God's will as Paul as God's agent there. The testimony and witness of Paul's efforts has already been made known to the churches he founded. There is no question of God's will through Paul there. The witness and testimony of Paul's efforts have already been known to the Roman authorities, the Roman judges, soldiers, political leaders, King Agrippa of Judea. There is no question of God's will upon Paul there. The Roman authorities have already declared Paul cleared of every legal wrong, and the trip to Caesar is just to seal it. 
this is a high status trip, again, there is no question that Paul is doing God's will there. So where is the confusion? And the confusion is in the temple, the high priests, those who guard the law, the Pharisees. They are denying that God is part of what Paul is doing. And they despise Paul as a threat to their traditional order. So by this journey, this story has nothing to do with convincing Rome or anyone else. It is designed exclusively to show that God's agency and approval overrides all the laws and disbelief that God's and God's law rests on Paul. So to prove this legitimacy, God demonstrates God's power. Only God controls the storms, not the priests, not Jerusalem, not the kings, not Caesar. They don't have anything to do with it. So this shipwreck is no mistake. It is not persecution or tragedy. It is a showy, splashy, rip-roaring stamp of approval that God is behind this man Paul and his work, every church, every Greek, every new heart come to Jesus. It is God's love that is the supreme, call, uh, supreme law. God's love and God's call is made clear. So, as we reflect on this human struggle, the best of us try the hardest to get it right by God, to make sure that we live well. Our Bible is full of this tension about righteousness and sin. And we, we sincerely want to get it right, right? But we struggle and we expect rightness to be like us. We expect rightness to be something measurable that we can enforce and say, you're in and you're out. We have legalism still today and very personally plaguing the United Methodist Church. We are struggling as a church with our book of discipline, our law book that declares that LGBTQIA people are not uh, not allowed to belong or serve in ministry in the way that other people are. And this has been a wound in the church for quite a while. Next slide. This is what we want. This is the story we tell ourselves about who we are. Look at those matching stoles. Don't they look amazing? That's like a deacon and two elders and a bishop, another bishop in the back, right? This is the story of what the kind of people we want to be. This is from a general conference in 2016. Next slide. Here we are again. Look at us. Woohoo! Like we, this is right when, when church is good, when things are good, when community is good. This is why we make laws that exclude because partly we just love being together so much. Right? You don't want the Californians moving in. <laughs> and as humans, we struggle with that. Right? We struggle with building a world. And so despite our joy and what we want to do, we're like, you know, um, face palming ourselves. Next slide. We're not getting it right. So this picture was taken on the floor of General Conference 2016, same General Conference, and this is during the prayer. As there has 
openly been fighting in the great, great, um, it's like a warehouse in there, um, people disagreeing very politely, and somehow polite disagreement can feel meaner, right? Um, and legitimately struggling, is it okay to change our book of discipline and welcome gay people? Is it okay? Does, does God's will really rest there? What does it mean to be a gay person? I don't know, I'm, I'm from Northern California. <laughs> right? I mean, we have our spheres of the people we know. But this, this was hard. And I was there at that um, general conference. I was there all the days. I was lucky my parish was just, just 20 minutes away. And um, it was electric in that space. There was a sincere effort to work this out. We did have no idea how to do that, and, those, and the lines were drawn. There was the group that really believed that it's not okay to include, and the group that believed it was really important that we do. Next slide. And so we had many folks on the floor of General Conference protesting being silenced as LGBT people. Next slide. Um, I, I know just a number of these folks. Uh, next slide. Um, she was on my boom, uh, which means that she was part of the committee who uh, shepherded me through the ordination process. Very deeply spiritually caring person who is also gay. Next slide. The pain. Because those of us who are LGBTQA and those of us who love people who are LGBTQIA, we know the pain of this. And I bet there's just as much frustrating tears. We get this picture from, from, from this conversation, but I bet there's people on the other quote-unquote side, and we have to be really careful of these words, we're all United Methodists, who are hurting too. We're hurting over this, and we're hurting each other over this. Next slide. Next slide, yeah, sorry. Uh, this is um, another place where there was a demonstration, and this was a line of clergy specifically who supported LGBT inclusion, um, and they carry with them the stoles, one stole for every clergy person, a pastoral leader, who has been defrocked and removed from pastoral leadership. And there was lots of them. Next slide. I'll go to how that wraps all the way down. And being confronted with all of that. These are people who were called into ministry. These are people who were affirmed by their communities. Some of them who grow up in the church, who, who served the church beautifully. And I, right now, too, maybe I should hit the pause button and say, I think it's probably very clear where I think we need to go. That I serve a reconciling church um, and I really have, I have had so many deep and beautiful conversations with LGBTQIA people of faith that I know that God is there. But I also understand this isn't everybody's understanding or perspective. And I want you to know that I care about listening to folks. Just because I've got my little thing 
doesn't make me right, doesn't make me better. And I care about this conversation more than I care about being right. So I hope that, um, that if this is something that you've got red flags going off on or you want to know more about, to come and talk to me. So next slide. It was clear that our debate wasn't going to help us. And so Bishop Al and the bishops left to, they, they asked for time for, for them to have a conversation together, just the bishops, and find a way to lead us. Um, and this, this strategy had sort of arisen the day before. As it became clear that we were at an impasse, leaders from the church created a plan to call from the legislative floor and ask the bishops to meet together and try to figure out what to do. And they want, basically, we want the bishops to lead us. And so the bishops came up with this thing called the way forward. The way forward is conversations and uh, community uh, that, that's been happening since 2016. There'll be a special annual conference in 2019. And the hope for many of us is that we won't split our church. There are already churches leaving our denomination because they do not want inclusion. And that makes me sad. Um, I, don't, I don't have answers here. I don't have any answers here. But I know that for me, faith is about love, love of neighbor, and I'm trying to find the most loving way. Next, next slide. Again, this is what we want, right? Here it is. This is so much part of who we are. I mean, 10 to 1 celebrations like this at General Conference. This. This is what's at stake. This is what matters. This is what we can share the world over. This joy and love of God. But instead, next slide. It looks a little like we're in the middle of a shipwreck. A little bit like some of us are castaways. And we got to figure out what we're going to do about that. I have another two pages, but my internal clock tells me time is up. And I think it gives us something to think about where we are. Wherever you are in this issue, know that God has called you into discernment. That God hasn't presented us with the book of answers, but the book of questions. Right? And for me, if you're from California, I totally love on you because I also spent time in California. <laughs> so there it is. On Saturday at the Medford Church, we're going to have what's called table talk conversations at 1 o'clock. It's in that little handout. And if you want to, it's not a, it's, it's designed just for conversation. If you would like to learn more, if you want to be part of that conversation, I invite you to participate. I think we've been training for this at the conference level. Um, we care about the conversation. So, um, so yeah, uh, I invite you to that. And you know what? I, we, have a, we always end this with a little bit of time of reflection, but I think I'd like to instead have us just be in prayer for a minute. Um, let us pray. Amazing God, this church belongs to Tobias. And every other 
little baby that God delivers to us, with us. We are in ministry not to Tobias, but with Tobias. He is truly one of our family. We are in ministry to children across the denomination. We seek the joy and the togetherness and the belonging for all of God's children. We seek a way to do that that honors people's hearts, honors the scriptures, and honors our call to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul and love our neighbor as ourselves. Amazing God, help us in our arrogance. Help us in our pain. Help us in our righteousness. Help us be the people you would have us be. Amen.